You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 34. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking to Kate Moore, who I consider the queen of internships. I think we called her the Beyonce of internships uh, in this episode, but yeah, she knows her stuff. If you don't know who Kate Moore is, she's the founder of the Global Career Center, which is actually a relatively new endeavor of hers. Previously, she was uh, the executive director of the Academic Internship Council, formerly of part of USA, also part of CIEE. She's done so many things, and we get into all of that inside this episode. But I love me some Kate Moore. She's a great friend as well as just a very esteemed colleague who I turn to a lot for advice, for thoughts about our field, the future of our field, the industry. And she's just one of those people that just always has amazing, thoughtful things to share and just has this incredible positive energy that she just puts out to the world and you just can't help but love you some Kate Moore. So I'm really excited to share this episode with her. Sam and I kind of geek out, go a little, go a little, uh, <laughs> um, hyper fan on Kate in this, but, um, I think you will too, after you get to know her. So, uh, if you don't know who she is, I've linked to her LinkedIn as well as to the global career center in the show notes. So you can go check out what she's all about. But with that being said, said, the only thing I will let you know is don't forget the Global Pro Institute is going to be opening for enrollment in just a few weeks. So if you haven't yet, go get on the wait list. What are you waiting for? Go get on the wait list. It's insidestudyabroad.com slash GPI. And if it's not for you, please share it with all of those students who talk to you about, oh, how do I get a job like yours in international education? That's what GPI is all about. We're all about helping create that pipeline, that pathway to a career in international education. So GPI is uh, one of the best things I've ever done in my career. I'm very proud of it. We've had over 500 students go through the program. It's an amazing experience as well. We have internships now, which is a very new development and something I'm so happy we finally got around to making happen. So again, that's InsideStudyAbroad.com slash GPI. All right, let's go to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inside Study Abroad's Inside Chat. This is our live recordings of the Inside Study Abroad podcast. We're so excited to have y'all here today. We've got Naveen from Bangalore, which I know Kate knows. She already screamed your name when she saw your name. Uh, We've got Eric from Grand Rapids, Karen from San Antonio. What's up? Hannah from Brattleboro, Vermont. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I like it's just like a love fest up in here. I love it. Uh, we got uh, Susie, who was first. Welcome, Susie, from New Jersey. Um, so excited to have y'all here. Um, I'm Brooke Roberts. I'm the founder of Inside Study Abroad. I'm here with my esteemed colleague, the amazing Samantha Cooper, who Hello, is the director everyone. of our um, internship and career development programs. And of course, the woman of the hour, <laughs> Kate Moore. So Kate Moore is the um, founder and principal of the Global Career Center, which we're going to learn all about. It's new. It's brand spanking new, which is so exciting. <laughs> um, and so I always like to get, uh, oh, I, I promised I would do this. 
So can y'all hear me and see us before we keep going? Last time we did this, we just start talking and then people are like, are we supposed to see or hear anything? Um, so let us know in the chat that you can see and hear us. Thank you, Naveen, you are the best. Okay, awesome, okay, okay, great. Um, so uh, yeah, so I, I always love to start these conversations. Kate, if you wanna tell us your international education story, I'll let you. You Excellent. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, Dorothy will, under, will understand and appreciate this a lot. Um, yeah. I grew up in a tiny town in Nebraska, had 38 people in my graduating class, and always knew that international and business would be part of what I do, um, mm -hmm. specifically nonprofit business, but business as well. Um, you know, never uh, the two points that you should know about me growing up is I was literally 12 years old before I realized I would not get to meet everyone else in the world. Oh, I remember you telling you. me this. <laughs> and then I was like, I promise you that I still earned my doctorate. <laughs> so it's possible for everyone. It's yeah. possible. <laughs> and, um, and then I also, uh, you know, I actually took, I don't remember the exact time, but it did take me time to actually realize that people, do, there isn't free mobility of folks around the world, right, too. Like you can't go to any place to study, to work, to learn, to live. Um, so that was something that I had to learn. And I remember learning that and being a little disappointed, but also trying to do everything I can since to overcome those challenges and lean into those opportunities, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my first uh, of many international trips was to Ireland with my family, and we were going to blend for two weeks, but we showed up and we had a great big, huge Hertz rent-a-van. We were a billboard <laughs> throughout Ireland. Um, trying to blend with the locals uh, in our Hertz rent-a-van. So, um, you know, from that early age, I know uh, definitely travel has always been part, but also the individual experience and connecting that, connecting that to, you know, back home to other people you know, connecting to people at the location, um, and definitely making sure to help others connect and build that context as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So, like... You know, people are going to want to know. I mean, what's your educational background? Let's hear the mm. credentials, yeah. all the things. <laughs> sure. So, I did my uh, undergrad at American University in DC, chosen mm. largely because of the internship opportunities. Um, I also, um, and the ability not to own a car, girl from Nebraska says. Yeah, um, exactly. I also <laughs> hey, I live in Kansas City now, and I still don't own a car. So, yeah, it's awesome. possible. So good. <laughs> People, yeah, you have, how often do you have to explain that to your family too, right? Oh like, my gosh, everyone in Kansas City is like, I don't understand, like how? Wow. I don't have a car in London. Kate, do you, do you have a car now? Do you have a car? No, I have access to a car. Yeah, okay. I have access to a car too, but I mean. I don't insane. really. <laughs> I haven't driven a car in months. <laughs> the, um, you know, at that it also, I mean, that public transport piece of, of DC was, was great. Also no, no football team at the place where I went to university, which is also a Nebraska uh, reaction. You were like, um, I want to do all anti Nebraska things. Oh, nice. I love exactly, it. Exactly. I didn't look to see if there's any Nebraskans on the call. There are. Susie says oh. she lived in Omaha for six years. Um, Yi-Wen says um, she lives Lincoln. in Lincoln. Lincoln. Amazing. Amazing. And I'm so sorry if I butchered your name there. I very much apologize. Um, so, so you went to American. So yep. girl leaves the, the farm, goes to the big yep. city, 
land of yep. you know the wizard of Brooke, oz love this. this is your I story love, yeah. this is me and i are like you know sisters from another mister it's like oh, no, totally yeah, yeah. Listen, learn. <laughs> so true and i and i it's interesting because students will talk about their career paths and I didn't choose my career path based on this is what I'm going to study to do X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Didn't do the sort of that, that ladder. I knew international and business were going to be parts of it. So I did incorporate those as my majors mm -hmm. and minors. Uh, I did study abroad in university. I went to Vienna through the World Capitals Program and um, did not, uh, I first admitted this at a conference about 10 years ago, I did not do an international internship when I had the opportunity. <laughs> There you go. Oh, so it did exist. It was a thing. And you were like, nah. Yeah. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> Who does that? Who does that? So there you go. And then uh, I, after some, some work, and I worked in political organizing, I worked in civic education, worked with high school, middle school, and elder hostel participants. Um, I went back for my master's in nonprofit management and uh, loved it. Uh, I yeah. did that as I did my doctoral program, which was like the National Guard, right? You know, without guns, but one weekend a month, a couple of weeks during the <laughs> summer. Yeah. <laughs> did you have guns in your master's program? I mean, I it was in Ohio, so yeah, maybe there was. <laughs> Yeah. So I did, uh, I, I mean, I did uh, that for me again was I knew I wanted to do a nonprofit work and I went to Eastern University had a DC campus. So right by Union Station uh, had folks from all sorts of nonprofits there. And it was interesting because those of us who worked in education and, and in healthcare, actually, people kept saying, oh, that's a nonprofit. And so interestingly that at, you know, yeah. fast forward to now, those are the two industries that are going to see the biggest shakeups, I think, with COVID or education and healthcare. Oh, yeah. um, and then I was super fortunate to do my uh, doctoral program through Penn, through the School of Education at University of Pennsylvania, um, and loved that program, cohort-based program, um, and focused my dissertation work on the global competition for international students. Um, and that, yeah, rolls right off the tongue. Very every dissertation yes. does. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but looked at Singapore and a lot of the work mm -hmm. in Singapore actually ended up looking at how education was used to inform employability and how it was used strategically and how international students are welcome. So hidden agenda there, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah so. I just have a little piece of commentary that I think it would be interesting to discuss. But it, when you were talking about healthcare and education, both mm. being both disrupted, and I was like, huh, you know, d it came to mind immediately, like, what are the common threads? And I was like, ah, oh, like on, on the surface, and I know it's very complicated in both of those industries, but they're both overpriced yet underfunded. Mm. How is yeah. that possible? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, true. It's, it's just like, there's not enough money, but there's so much money in it. Yeah, in both. Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely. Um, and I, I just, I was like, I gotta write that down. Um, so <laughs> but like smarter people than yeah. me need to explain this yeah. to me. Um, okay. So, uh, I love that. So, um, let's fast forward a little bit. So how did you start your foray into the internship game? Cause if y'all don't know who Kate Moore is, Kate Moore is the <laughs> queen bee of all things, yeah. international education. Just 
despite not having done an internship abroad. That's fine. It's fine. Um, are, you, so, are you implying she's the Beyonce of internships? Because now I, I feel mean, like that needs to stick. Can we yeah, she's totally the Beyonce yes. of international internships. I mean, Sorry, yeah. but she would she would be the one who would tr- like train for eight months to do a two hour workshop on international internships. <laughs> That is actually like, true. Like she, like yeah. Beyonce did for her Netflix special. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is very true. Oh, I don't Juliana know says it's officially a thing. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, see? It's taken it's out. Everybody go post to your respective social medias that Kate Moore is the Beyonce of international internships. The memes are coming. Oh, no. Oh, my that gosh. Was great. I'll take it. Happening. I would never. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we should so, become the meme generator of international ed. We are the coolest of all international ed organizations. But actually, I would like to hear a little bit more of the story because I, um, just to yes. tell the audience here, um, Kate, we met, I believe in the year 2006, Six. Um, with USA doing international internships. Yeah. And- you joined shortly after, I think. These and two you know, honeys interviewed me, which is terrifying. Yeah. And um, <laughs> let's put a pin in this, but I think Kate might have asked you the toughest interview question you've ever had. So That's let's true. circle back to that. Ooh, we'll circle back um, to that. Yeah, stay tuned for that later. Um, but yeah, just um, I'm curious because I know that you were doing internships in DC, but they weren't international. So actually, I need a refresher on my yeah, absolutely international internships. Absolutely. So I had been working at the Close-Up Foundation, which is a civic education organization, high school and middle school students. I brought, um, when they decided they wanted to do a foray into uh, elder hostel participants, that's now Road Scholar based here in Boston, but was, mm-hmm. you know, for uh, adult learners and older adult learners as well. Uh, I was the one who took the helm of that project, um, still get blamed for it to this day, but it is an amazing program, lots of great intergenerational pieces as well. Um, that. that program actually came out of universities and colleges. So I got to know university and colleges a little better. Um, was also working on some state department funded programming. Yeah. And I had gone to American University. There was a position that came up for a brand new position called director of internships at the Washington semester program there. That's it. And yeah, uh, yeah so I That's applied for that position uh, and got it, uh, loved it. Uh, did a lot of work with um, not just about 1200 students a year coming into DC got super comfortable with peer organizations or competitors because there's so many people doing internships in in DC that I really, I think it's where I first really leaned into the idea that we are a community. We are not competitors. We are a community because this is difficult, hard work. And it wasn't that far removed from 9-11 where DC Mm -hmm. was having to figure out how to to navigate these things much Mm -hmm. after, um, you know, 7-7 in in the UK and, you know, and and how after post-COVID as well too. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, interestingly, got into that position thinking that I mentioned I went on a World Capitals program, um, and I thought that Washington Semester and World Capitals were one, one little unit together, and that I could maybe just sneak over to the study abroad side. Um, <laughs> now, it showed up, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's on the other campus. We don't even do anything abroad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> so, so it was international, but I worked a lot with the international inbound students. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the piece that really when I first became aware of um, this idea of 
international internships, not just about leaving here to go some other place, mm-hmm. but also about people coming here from other locations, working with study away as well. Mm-hmm. And if you're coming from Kansas, if you're coming from Nebraska, DC, the East Coast, super different cultures. You have to navigate those yes. for sure. And I also worked a lot with um, a federally funded programming um, for, um, and I had, I, stumble over the wording because it was during the time of the University of Michigan uh, law school case. And it was um, it's, um, uh, American Indian and Alaska Native students. Uh, we had to use the, this, this, I almost said SCOTUS because I'm a DC nerd, the Supreme Court, <laughs> um, the Supreme Court definition of, of that student population. Oh, right. Worked okay. a lot of tribal colleges, um, worked a lot of federal agencies to do that funded program that. as well. It was such a, it is I such did a cool not, I did not know that and yeah. learned something new today. Absolutely. I, this is why I love these conversations because I'm yeah. like, you did what? You are amazing. <laughs> um, so I want to skip ahead and talk a little bit, like not a little bit. We're going to talk a lot about internships mm. um, because you yeah. are the Beyonce. So we have you here. <laughs> We're going to learn as much as we conceivably can from you in the next 45 minutes. Um, And, you know, the the premise of this conversation is about the new landscapes of global internships. And I, and just to put everything in context, and I'm so sorry, Kate, I'm just going to like, please shoot your horn real quickly. But, (laughs) you know, after, after American, um, you know, she, and she's done so many things, but the summarize, she ran um, internships in North America for USA, which is um, an organization where we all met and it focuses on custom internship programs. Um, now in Europe, it, they also added on North America, which was Kate. Um, and then she expanded that even beyond there to um, locations um, in Asia, um, Oceania, stuff like that. Then they broke off. They created the um, the Academic Internship Council. You guys are all probably very familiar with it. They also launched the Global Internship Conference as well, which is one of the first, if not the first, international internship focused mm-hmm. event um, for professionals. And then, and then she spearheaded all of that within CIEE when AIC um, joined the ranks with CIEE and ran all of that. And now, and now. Talk about somebody making lemonade out of lemons. Uh, she and her co-founder have launched a new project, again, focusing on internships and employability and career development um, called the Global Career um, Center. Center. Sorry, I was like, council. Center. No, no. Okay. No, no. <laughs> yeah, Global Career Center. Thank you, GCC. And so uh, we're going to talk about what GCC does, but uh, I just want to give you all a context of Kate's expertise and ability and knowledge, breadth of knowledge in this area that she, she, we joke about the Beyonce thing only because it's true. Um, mm-hmm. Only because she does not only have extensive ex- professional experience, but as she mentioned, her um, academic career has really been focused on the sub- the subject matter as well. So I, I really hope you, uh, you know, we're, we try to make this light and fun. This, these conversations are intense, intended to be a little bit casual, but we hope you walk away with some real great insight into the future of global internships, but also what you can be doing either in your organization, in your office, um, for your students to to see how a global internship experience could be beneficial to them long term and among other things. So just to put this whole conversation in context and why we want Kate to be the person we talk to about this subject. So um, let's let's dive in to this new landscape of yeah. a global a global internships. So um, maybe if you wouldn't mind, try to put put 
some kind of framework around what we're dealing with right now in in the time of COVID. Um, what what does it mean to have an international internship these days? Absolutely, and I'll. You know, it's funny. I'll start with what's always made international internships odd, and what's made it difficult, and what's mm-hmm. made me love it actually mm-hmm. is the fact that there is no specialization that you can gain in international internships. I'll take the Beyonce title all day long. Trust me, but <laughs> don't get there without Destiny's Child. That could be yeah. the next forty minutes. But um, the uh, you know, but it is. Usually when international internships come to a university or a college or even to an employer, they come there because somebody is not an expert in international internships. And this is changing, Mm -hmm. but for historically, it has been, ah, you are a career services person. Now figure out this international bit Mm -hmm. or, oh, study abroad office. These people are leaving the country. You figure this out. Mm -hmm. Or a faculty member who just happens to have some great contacts. And Mm -hmm. for that reason, for the GIC or the Global Internship Conference, also for some of the training that we've put together with NAFSA and the Internship Service Learning and Research Abroad, uh, MIG, um, that uh, it's hard to do training because these are, are tend to be, the people who have international internships on their plates on a campus tend to have a lot of experience, but not specialized experience in one area. Mm-hmm. And it's also, um, you know, an area that uh, is, it's difficult. Um, it is challenging. Uh, you have to hear a lot of no's or not now's from employers and murky gray areas with, um, with visas and employment law and all of that. And that gets me to where we are right now with international internships, that it's mm-hmm. always been at the messy intersection of immigration and employment law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's at the messier intersection that includes health and <laughs> politics and social unrest and everything else. Um, for those who are considering whether it's worth the trouble, the answer is absolutely, but it's not the only thing that should be included. It should be part of a portfolio. Mm. Um, and I think it becomes worth the trouble because it's highly immersive, it's high impact, but it needs structure and foundation to make it work. Mm -hmm. And that is never more true than it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, that because of that intersection between not just immigration employment, health, social, and political uh, challenges and unrest, um, but also the fact that um, where our students are, where our employers are, and where our universities are, um, that that structure, that community is needed now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a thought. I'm going to say something. Mm-hmm. But Please. I, uh, you know, I think I find it very interesting. Um, you know, I, I think about my own, you know, obviously, it's just, you know, a anomaly maybe, but I studied abroad three times. I don't know what you're, what you, you two did when you studied abroad. Um, but, you know, I think about, I did two international internships, one in grad school, one as an undergrad, and I did two additional study abroads um, as an undergrad that were more traditional, just studying. Right. Um, and one, I lived with a host family and then was taking classes with basically other Americans and one, I lived in a dorm, like an international dorm, taking classes with mostly international students. And But I think about like from the immersive experience, like truly like, okay, I am here and I am talking to the locals, you know, all the, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing we really want, you know, in a lot of these experiences is like, it was because I was forced to be in a room for eight hours a day in my internships with 
British people in one case, you know, or I was, you know, spent every evening with a French family in France uh, and that forced me to sort of be in that space. Um, do you feel like we need like for study abroad to like have an actual study abroad as a the larger umbrella to actually have a value proposition moving forward? We need to force the actual like immersion like, cause otherwise I feel like, oh, couldn't they just go book a hostel mm. or Airbnb on their own and go with their friends and file the Instagram spots? Like where's the value add we add here? Cause I feel like that might be the one piece where having the specialized knowledge and ability to actually find the, the, the great internship yeah. placements or the, the, you know, the host families, et cetera. I don't know. It's just something that came to mind. I'm like, maybe we need to well, force it. <laughs> I, you know, and I do think we need that value proposition, you yeah. know? things are going to be, people are going to be asking why, why, why do yeah. this? Mm -hmm. You know, why, you know, you look at the percentage of the folks who go to university versus the percentage and, and the percentage of the folks that go abroad and the percentage of folks that go internship. That's a teeny, 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 tiny piece. Yeah. So why would we do that? Why would we force it? I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Brooke, the value proposition has mm -hmm. to be there. Yeah. I mean, a, a parallel yeah. industry that sort of propped up in the last four or five years that I got to know um, a lot, especially as I was doing my digital nomad year, um, is this idea of these remote work companies, right? And yeah. I did some consulting for a few of them because they were like, oh, we're taking these giant groups abroad and we don't know what the heck we're doing. And I was like, oh, we've been doing that for a long time in my industry. Let me help you. But um, you know, one of the things they were discovering that they were doing these like long-term experiences and what their challenge was, was also the value prop, right? So um, their, their thing was like, oh, you can work remotely, join our program, and we'll help handle the housing and all the like logistics for you. Well, after two months of, you know, going to different um, countries, people are like, oh, logistics aren't that hard, actually. Mm -hmm. So what, what is the value that you are bringing to me? And so a lot of them had to regroup and pivot to figure out what is the value proposition. How do we make this a meaningful or more in-depth um, experience beyond just we booked your 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 apartment? Exactly. Them, you know. Yeah. And I exactly. feel like study abroad and international all these. I think international internships. I think service learning programs, volunteer abroad. Um, these like stacked experiential experiences. Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's stacked programs where it's like not just studying abroad and like the, the idea of just being there isn't enough anymore. I feel like. Mm -mm. No. And I think the intentionality is key from a program mm -hmm. standpoint. Yes. And I think getting students out of the checklist um, mentality is yeah. key from a individual standpoint as well, too, mm -hmm. to make sure it's not just, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. It is there's that intentionality piece as well too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I a value proposition, I'll, Sam, I'll kick it over to you. The value proposition has to address some of the things that are really difficult about study abroad and internships abroad as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, agreed. Um, I do think people, um, young people, students, they need, they do need support in certain ways when you're doing something for the first time. Um, and when they don't need you, they should be able to sort of, I guess, fly the nest, as it were. Um, but I do wonder, controversial, um, Brooke, what your comment made me think is, because um, I do think internships are immersive, um, or the traditional internships, and so maybe we can talk about um, remote internships and how mm -hmm. immersive they are. But I would say mm -hmm. sort of in-person internships, I think they are more immersive, um, but how much does 
health and safety and liability come into play for people designing programs that then stop students for a very good reason. I'm not poo-pooing health, safety, and liability, um, but then stop students from being able to have, uh, because we need to make sure we know where they are and we can control their housing and we can control the environment, but then you get these these very sort of students living with other students from mm. their own culture, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's a very specific maybe model. I know there's models other than that, but I often think about that is how much are, is our control over the experience getting in the way of the student's experience? Mm -hmm. Another big question that no one has to answer here. If you don't <laughs> no, but I think there's a difference between facilitating and providing the foundation and yeah, managing experience on behalf of students. Mm -hmm. You know, that we, especially with internships, and this applies to all sorts of applied learning, right, is that there is an extent of that experience that is outside the control of the program uh, itself. And that is difficult from a health and safety standpoint, but it's also important from a learning standpoint. Um, and yeah. you can mitigate it, you know, and we all know you can mitigate risk, you can never eliminate risk as well, right. too. Um, so I think that that is, is, a, is a key uh, um, sort of differentiator, too. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to jump into some of our topics we, we, we promised everyone mm. we would talk about. So, uh, sure. but, um, so let's talk about what you mean when you say like redefining what we even think of as an internship. Yes, please. Yeah, absolutely. So acquiring minds would like to know. <laughs> oh, and it is, it's funny, right? Cause I know, um, there are lots of definitions you can get out there around internships and there's a lot of, um, uh, a range of things. So like when I've written, uh, written uh, chapters on, on program types that include internship mm -hmm. service learning and research, or when I've, um, you know, working on a, a NAFSA book right now that has chapters on each of those, the definition piece becomes not here is the absolute positive definition, but also known as, mm -hmm. so yeah. also known as um, co-op, you know, apprenticeship, stage, you know, all of these other also known as. Mm. I, I do think that, you know, you know, my thought is that we have to define it based on sort of outcomes and attributes of the experience mm. versus sort of verifying it based on hours and location. Mm. And to give you a very specific example, yes. you know, and I, I, I do, I love what the SUNY system does around applied learning, how they talk about how there's this portfolio mm -hmm. that you could, here's you, SUNY works, SUNY serves, SUNY discovers, and that's internships, service learning and research. Mm -hmm. But it, it also has the also known as, and the thought is that you build a portfolio as a student, you build a portfolio as a campus, and it's all about the learning that happens beyond the classroom, but is really so place-based, so place, you know, but it was when we were working on some early iterations of, um, of a uh, workshop for NAFSA, and I give Jason Kinnear a big shout out because he and I were the, the content uh, sort of experts for that. Would you ever get a chance to be a content expert? Do it. Because all we did was we'd get on the phone and go, blah, and then somebody would come back and say, like, here's what we've created. And we're like, oh, Oh, that that's makes great. Sense. Oh, um, <laughs> yes, please. Could I just yeah. have someone do that for my whole business? Like I have uh, a no. like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they came initially they came back and said, okay, internships are in a business, service learning is in a nonprofit, and research is at a university. And Jason and I looked at each other and go, nah, no, 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 no. So we but from that, it's, so it's not about place. It's not about hours. It is about those outcomes and attributes mm -hmm. that make it mm -hmm. professional and practical 
mm-hmm. and beyond the classroom mm-hmm. as well. We are seeing things that are shorter. Um, we are seeing things that are, um, you know, less immersive. Um, and I think we we need to come up with shared definitions of how those work, but also a common understanding that it is experiential education is never perfect. And that's one of the reasons I chose it as a career because <laughs> yeah. it's always, we're always going to figure out ways to be responsive um, as well too. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things we talk about in our, in GPI with our new internship program for international ed, um, we measure it based on deliverables, right? Mm-hmm. So because they're intentionally shorter experiences, our goal is that somebody at the end can say, here's what I've accomplished. Here's what I've created or done. Like, like if there was a physical binder, <laughs> they'd be like, ta-da. Yeah. You know? um, uh, and so having something that's like the outcome, like you mentioned, like not just like a learning outcome, but like I, I delivered something, I shipped something. Um, sure. And I feel like, you know, building out a portfolio. I mean, we can talk about soft schools and those are definitely valuable for, but for me, even when I'm teaching people about career development is like at the end of the day, as a hiring manager, even if you tell me of excellent inter, you know, intercultural communication skills, I my my response to that is prove it and yeah, show yeah. me like yeah. some example of how you actually do have great communication skills of some kind. So yeah. uh, I, I like that idea. And I'm so excited that people are having a conversation about detaching hours or let's, you know, but in seat hours, as I like yeah. to say, um, because yeah. I think work in general is, is moving away Pretty from good. that, you know? Um, and I think more people are saying, okay, what can I accomplish? Like what, how can I get to our end goal of what we're trying to achieve as an organization? And, and can I hit these milestones? And if it takes me, you know, 10 hours to do it, but Sam is a rock star and it only takes her to do three hours to do it. Like why, why does she have to still continue the seven hours of like, okay, I guess I just sit here and snap my fingers. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. I think the world, I mean, the, you know, industrial revolution was why we have hours of tie, tied to, to um, our work because it was based on getting an actual machine and capitalizing on how much time it could run. And we applied that to human beings and human beings, Mm. our intellectual abilities are not tied to like how long we can just run. Um, And so I find that, in, I find that fascinating. I think that's great. I think, I think it, is that challenging for the academic side of this experience? I think because, you know, yeah. how are we measuring? Cause it's, you yeah. know, typically it was 45 hours for a three credit hour course. So it's like, okay, you have to have 45 hours of your butt quote in the seat at the internship. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And how do you, is there a new way we're navigating that requirement or that guidance? Well, it's funny, you read my mind there that we have to, we have to blame universities a bit for this as well, too, right? That it is that 45 hour per credit hour, semester Mm -hmm. credit hour mark that how you, how you set and credentialing and all of that as well, too. That's where that all came from. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we are seeing more project-based learning. We are seeing more competency-based education, but the big places that's happening is outside the university setting and it's a threat to universities. So they are going to be reluctant yeah. to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, people doing it really well are the Australians and the Canadians through ASEN, um, the Australian ACEN. That's an acronym. I don't know what it stands for, but there you go. <laughs> and SeaWheel uh, with Work Integrated Learning. Both of those organizations oh, yeah. do a fantastic job of saying, here's what, let's do it by out- attributes and outcomes. And I have to give the GPI interns a, a quick plug because 
and in turn, we have working with us from GPI is doing phenomenal work helping us sort of, sort of go through that murky space around what do we want to measure and how can we measure it beyond self-assessment and, um, you know, attaboys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do love me a good attaboy, but you're yeah, right. I mean, you're more. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about um, just bringing um, sorry, this isn't a fully formed question, so hopefully I'll get there in the end, but talking about outcomes and attributes um, and this whole premise we talked about earlier about immersive and getting that intercultural experience. How do you feel with things now turning virtual, we can measure the intercultural impact of a virtual internship, for yeah. example. Um, yeah. I don't, um, I think it's possible. I'm just wondering how, if you know of any other conversations that are going on around that and how people are measuring. Because for sure, I've always felt that the cultural part of an internship is also work culture, industry culture, and realizing that there's culture everywhere, not just between countries, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I do wonder how people are, you know, how, yeah. does our, you know, how does our field feel about the international intercultural part of doing virtual? Sorry, it's a big it, question. I just well, don't know what people are saying, talking about. Well, it's interesting from the virtual space, and I know sort of touching on virtual internships here. Um, mm -hmm. I was glad to have that as a prompt for a conversation, because I want to acknowledge the fact that the first people that were out of the gate with international experiences and study abroad experiences or virtual internships. And I credit our field with that. I do credit yeah. international internships with being able to be nimble. It's also yeah. an individual experience. All of that's quite good. Mm -hmm. um, I have, you know, I uh, am cautiously optimistic. I think it needs to overcome some challenges because mm -hmm. the success or failure of virtual internships will be, and some of this is based on years and decades of experience, all the way back to SUNY COIL system, right? Mm -hmm. um, and COIL does yeah. a, a pretty good job of having those metrics built in mm -hmm. about how they have their um, integrated learning and, and sort of uh, that uh, take place or where, where, those, where those touch points are. Um, but we do need data that is specific to international experiences because we're going to see it get wrapped up in dissatisfaction with, you know, uh, with online education. We're going to see it get wrapped yeah. up with people getting burnt out on working remotely um, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Um, and we're also going to see it get wrapped up when domestic internships that went virtual may not have gone so well. People will just sort of do a broad brush and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's oh, that's a virtual internship that didn't go so well for my son or daughter or my neighbor or my, my, you know, I, my own intern. So I, you know, I, why would I, so I do think we need to come up with those metrics and we need to come up with those differentiators as well mm -hmm. too. From yeah, the cross-cultural cool. piece in mm -hmm. particular. Um, and I have, I know on this call are two amazing uh, cultural coaches uh, for two <laughs> cities that need cultural coaches with New York and Mumbai. Uh, with Juliana and Naveen on this call, that you have to coach not just for place, you also have to coach for industry and you have to coach based on where somebody comes from as well. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. So online is a culture mm -hmm. and that's something that people need to figure out. And mm -hmm. I, Esther Bremer from NAFSA, the head of, uh, she actually did something really quite nice at the start of the NAFSA convening earlier in May, where she said the skills that we have as international educators are more important now than ever. 
And at that point, this was days after, um, you know, George Floyd's murder. This was days, you know, weeks after we're all in lockdown because of COVID, right? So she was talking to the some of the racial challenges, unrest in the states, and also talking to the the way that everybody is shifting dramatically to the way they work, as mm-hmm. well as the big issues and challenges we need to solve from public health, from you know, from mm-hmm. from every mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree. I think you know, for me, when I think about career development and coaching I've done for international education as a field, you know, I'm always trying to tell people that even you as a professional, you have to uncover your your value proposition. Uh, beyond, you know, you happen to, you know, have traveled a bit more than the lay person. Um, and it's, you're not just a taskmaster. You're not just um, a, a logistics organizer, that there's a deeper level understanding and appreciation for, you know, um, understanding the dynamic of a different cultures interacting and time, often conflicting and, and navigating navigating those waters. For me, that's what I feel like the value prop of international ed is. But I feel like one, I don't think we're all really trained in that. I think we mm. kind of learned yeah. through osmosis in our jobs we're supposed to know what you know designing a, a, a meaningful international experience should look like with all of these what I call interventions to make sure that we're hitting you know these learning outcomes but I think a lot of times we just assume like oh you studied abroad or you've been working in the field for a hot minute so of course you could just design yeah. take a blank piece of paper and design an internship program in Berlin and it would be really great and meaningful and I'm like actually I don't know that a lot of international educators could do that. Um, and, and I feel like th- if we want to be, if we want to sing for our supper <laughs> and, and show that these experiences have a better, like have more meaning and value to them than just like going to spring break, um, mm-hmm. the Seychelles, right? Like, um, on your own, I feel like those are the types of things we have to dig and uncover our value proposition as as professionals. And so I think Esther is absolutely right that we do have a skill set. I feel like we also need to be better about figuring out what that skill set is and actually teaching ourselves how to 100%. do it. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that you mentioned about, you know, sort of the remote and virtual stuff, which I found almost comical for me, like watching this kind of unfold of the last six months um, with, you know, virtual and remote I was like joking with friends. I was like, I feel like international education, like just discovered technology. Like, <laughs> like, and I was like, um, people have been doing this for a long time, you know, because so I would think of it as like, uh, you know, I, when I first started my first company, when I, when I left go abroad, you know, I had a remote distributed team. I had a couple of employees in Asia, a couple of employees in Eastern Europe, a couple of employees in Canada. And I was like, um, I like, I want us to have this great team culture and all these things. How do I get connected? And this was before like, like things like Slack didn't exist yet. I don't even think yeah. Asana existed, you know? So there were just like elements. Zoom definitely did not exist. Um, and I took cues from, tech companies who were like what we call remote first organizations. So um, a company that I have deep creeped and like stolen every idea they've ever had about managing a remote team is um, called Buffer. And it's like a social media Mm. scheduling app. And that's a cool tool and everything. But they they've done a really good job of just documenting, okay, what is what do we do to make sure our, you know, at this point, I want to say like 300 staff who are all remote not just like remote offices, like literally they all work from home. 
and or wherever they want. And mm -hmm. so how have they created a team culture? How have they created um, opportunities for, you know, learning um, as an individual, but also feedback loops. Um, and you know, Neil Finney, who I love, I don't know if you guys- mm, hate You him. love him, you love him. You uh, talk about him all the through and experience ships. I don't know, he's like me, he always has like 17 companies happening um, at once. But uh, he commented something today on LinkedIn um, about you know, starting a conversation about how with this remote and virtual thing happening, how do we, teach people not these like soft skills that we talked about in the past but like the skill of just being like oh i'm in an office um like i i give the three of us as an example i learned so much from both of you by just being in the room with you um, yeah. in those unscripted unplanned interactions about you know what it means to be really good at your job and um i learned so much from both of you that i'm like ah, i wish can I channel some Kate Moore right now or Sim Cooper, right? <laughs> um, and how how do you and and I'm not I'm gonna bastardize what he actually said on LinkedIn, but you know, how do we train people to sort of listen to their quote elders and the people who have lots more of experience and and can learn from them versus like, you know, what I would teach is like, oh, you need to know what you're responsible for and your deliverables and all these things. It's like, yeah, I could get in my project management software and know what to do. But then also, how am I gonna learn from Kate like based on her experience, how she would approach a thing and how do we make sure that those that learning is happening in an environment where you're like not in the room together, literally. Um, so anyway, I will, I will point to yeah. Buffer. They have their Medium um, site or whatever where they post all their articles is really a mm. great resource to just understanding how to manage remote teams, all of that element. Um, it's really great and it's obviously great. So um, yeah, I don't I don't have a question. I'm just like, I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> but but it does you do point out a few important things like from the outcomes perspective i think it's really easily remote to tell if somebody's done a technical job well mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it is dif more difficult to know if they've been part of um some of the and i don't want to use soft skills but some I, global skills some of those those non-technical yes. skills and you know i have been playing around with like sort of what my so what are the three things that non that we're, and I also, I'm, I'll give a, give, a, give up here that I have two words that I use religiously in place of other words, and I'm just going to say it. I yes. say remote work instead of virtual work because right. it's real work. Um, Canadians uh, taught me that. I like um, it. And then the, I like that too. And the other piece, and uh, I, I'll give Ken North some credit because he actually pointed out, he's like, why do you say this instead of that? Love that. Because I always say global <laughs> instead of international because it's not about a different place, <laughs> you know, and there's other ways yeah. we can look at international, but it's more about, and part of that has to go around where, where international education has gone and how mm -hmm. I was happenstance with my career on this, but it's not just study abroad or inbound and international. There's also internationalization at home and what those things yeah. are have changed. So it's got, got to be all those three pillars. The, um, the, uh, from the remote piece, I think, yes, that structure is key. Like we need to give people that structure. The two other pieces I've added based on some work with some teams and this summer has been, and, and with, with Emory University, who's been doing some beautiful work on a pilot program with GCC this summer, um, community uh, and making sure that you build, and the team is another word for it, of course, obviously, mm -hmm. Brooke, that is, but there's a community piece there and that people are able to make connections because internships mm -hmm. and work can be super isolating. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one was empathy. And I got to give some alums from Emory the credit on that because they came back and said, some days you just have a bad day and you need yeah. to be able to say that. And 
if you are in a place of, you know, that feels temporary or there's lack of power as an intern, it's harder to say, this is my day or this mm-hmm. is what I'm having a hard time with. Mm-hmm. I still think that's why I got ghosted by an intern this summer. I had a virtual intern that ghosted me this summer. Yeah, not um, our, not a not GPI. Your, not, it wasn't GPI. I was to say, no. no. <laughs> it was a, one of my, my Boston colleges, one of my local Aww. Boston schools. So, but it's That's okay. a whole okay. other topic in careers yeah. because I've heard that. I've actually had a lot of employers in London say they've been ghosted by people, not through anything I've done. But so that that's a whole other topic of, why people are ghosting employers when they're applying to things and they're well, saying yes and they just don't show up. Weird. I, I love, honestly, like I love this idea. Like I'm such like a type A, like let's get to the hard measurable stuff. But as someone who I've been the last year, been very open and transparent about my struggle with depression. Um, I'm very like much like I want to normalize the idea that you can, that one, a lot of people are, having challenges whether it's depression or anxiety or just there's a freaking pandemic happening um and that they're gonna have bad days and like normalizing this for i I think specifically specifically for american culture this like high powered Mm -hmm. drive hustle gotta perform gotta be perfect gotta be doing all the things all the time and i think you know i know this is like broader than just international internships but i think that it's um to be able to start teaching you know young people right away that like it's one okay that you struggle because yeah we all do but we're really good at trying to hide it um and two that um you're gonna struggle but then how do you i think uh, naveen mentioned that adaptability and resilience how do you how do you find your ways of coping and then also crawling out of that um oh. down moment uh, down period um and so i think i think that's really smart i think this is like an issue that should be like pan international ed pan pan life yeah. pan human being but <laughs> yeah. but i think that's that's a really really good point because i think you're right like with internships especially i think you know you got the supervisor you got the student they've got their plan of attack on what the projects are and all these things but then you know what if it you know it's something out of the student's control that they're just like wow i'm really struggling and then how do they deal with it and then as supervisors how do we deal with it how do we have yeah. empathy for um, for the people working with us, um, interns or, or not? So I love that. I love it. I'm starring it. I love it. I want more of it. Hearts, stars. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really curious, Kate, um, just because I, I realize we're just going on and on, but I really am curious about your, given all this, sort of your interest in international internships, um, I'd like to hear more about your baby GCC and how it came about and also how the, the decision behind doing your own thing, which I think sounds mm. really, maybe sounds inspirational to some people, to other people, maybe it's terrifying, hi, that would be me, um, where it just seems like such a big undertaking. So I'm really curious to learn more about what you guys are doing at Global Career Center and also just your journey to get there. Because um, I would imagine Absolutely. it started before the pandemic. I don't, as in like the idea of having your own maybe, or maybe doing your own thing. I don't know. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but I am curious about how you got to that point. You know, it's interesting. I would say, you know, it was, the pandemic was the impetus, right? And this was, this is a natural, as many things are in career, a natural iteration, a natural progression of things that I've done for, you know, 
decades. I'll put it that way. I wasn't going to put a year on that, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, because my first job out of university was running a setting up and running a campaign office in North Carolina. Um, and uh, that was around environmental issues and that was really fun. And I liked the work I was doing, but I loved more kind of running a thing. Um, you know, I think um, I, I know international education study abroad marketplace is going to change. And I say marketplace because I think that's the best way to describe it with comparatives to other industries. So we look at other industries as well. Um, and I think, you know, you, you could say that we were moving towards consolidation and there was good and bad in that. And now we're moving towards back. I always feel, feel like specialization and authenticity is where I want to live, right? So, um, you know, I, Global Career Center, and I, I will talk, to, I will give two, three, four, and then five points. So if you're ready, so your quick Global <laughs> Career Center. Writing them. Everybody write All them right. down. Yeah. <laughs> So Global Career Center connects two things. It connects employability and education. Mm -hmm. um, those are in order. I, we don't say education to employability because it's more of a cycle than just a, 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 a linear um, mm -hmm. piece. Um, I also think that connection, which is the last thing I'll mention, um, is desperately what we need right now. Mm -hmm. and, um, and there is lots around that as well, too. We work with the three pillars of international education. And those are, I mentioned those already, outbound students leaving here to go there, inbound students leaving there to come here, <laughs> but also knowing that we work with universities around the world and you know employers around the world. So there's a lot of circulation. And I do think that I, when I showed up at American University and like, oh yeah, world capitals is down there. Down, that was actually a blessing <laughs> for my career, right? Because it, it was no longer about U.S. students going to Europe at that time. It was we were in the press of a, we were really about to change where it's about inter, students going anywhere and everywhere to have these global experiences, yeah. mm -hmm. and that's that third piece, right? Is internationalization at home? You know, yeah. be that study away or be that you know, you know, it needs a better name than that long title. That's what uh, European Association of International Ed uses that really well. But you're doing inbound, outbound, and oops, I this is global. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> that, yeah. Um, that, that really, and in, in leaning into where, where there are global opportunities and global learnings locally. Um, from the four pieces, we do work with four stakeholders, right? So we work with academic partnerships or our university partners. We customize their programs based on their needs. Um, we also do workforce development with employers and host organizations. And yes, governments, I love that. Uh, <laughs> but really uh, collaborating with them. Um, and then employability services, coaching students as part of those programs. And then finally, the community. And that gets back to something I mentioned earlier, is that we are yeah. a community of international educators, of experiential educators, but also being very mindful of the community students are coming from and the campus they're coming from, as well as the community they're going to. And then finally, we do that through five different types of programs, and those include full service programs, placements with support services, team-based projects, sort of yeah. short-term immersives, um, which those, okay, those are the ones I always think about. So what are the outcomes? I'm a driver on those for sure. Like, what are the outcomes? So let's get those, they're going to do those. And the other part is just embedded employability. Um, for those who've been to the GIC before, you know that we did a debate in, in Dublin about, at University College Dublin, about whether the primary role of a university was education or employability. Um, oh, and... Uh, you know, we've actually, you know, as GCC, we're able to say it's it's both we're connected. Even if a university says our job ends here, there's still there needs to be that connection as well, too. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how much 
sorry, you just this idea of employability. Please. I have a couple of questions yeah. here that I don't expect to. But this idea of employability, um, how much do you think before the pandemic? And this is a genuine question. I, do, I don't know. It wasn't something that was on my radar um, that institutions of higher ed in the U.S. are really talking mm. about metrics for employability. Because in the U.K., we have Absolutely. league tables and people are rated on their graduate outcomes um, and how they're helping students get into industry. And I actually just don't know in the U.S. how, how much institutions are looking at as a, as a key indicator of success. And I will say, Sam, whenever I talk to a UK university or most European no. universities, I say, look, we put this word in our tagline. You guys own it. You're the ones yeah. who did it. Like it's been in your business cards for longer than we've been saying it. And, <laughs> and it is, I think a lot of it comes back to how, you, you know, how universities are measured in the US based on their yeah. six month out graduate or their six month out placement rate. And that is okay. employed. Has that student yeah. been employed? That's not about whether they're employable or have this employability skill. Yeah, thank you. Um, one piece that I would say, if I was thinking about ways to really shake up um, uh, higher ed for the future, it would include, I'm gonna go with the tagline that people are using all the time, that everything should become a subscription business, is that you subscribe to employability services from your university, and GCC delivers them, of course, but, uh, no, but, um, but that it's, you, your it, subscription to your university doesn't, it's not your four, four years and done. Like you, you, six months when you're employed does not mean that the job is done for you. It's done, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It hasn't and, been on their radar. Yeah, okay. No, that's, I, honestly, that's helpful um, because it wasn't really till I came to the UK that it was, um, I heard it, you know, walking down the street. I mean, people talk about it all the time here. Um, yeah. Uh, you mentioned specialization and authenticity, and I really mm. want to know more about that authenticity piece, also the specialization, but I'm assuming I know what you mean by that, but can you say more about what that, what that means to you guys? Sure. So, I mean, it's, we have a, a whole page of our, our values that came out of some focus groups we did with, with uh, former and future colleagues, I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> that, um, and it is that idea of being really solution driven and partnership based and, you know, and I think knowing that if we're not the right answer, we're going to help somebody find the right answer. Um, if I had one word to describe my career, it would be connector. And, mm. um, you know, I am by nature an enthusiast and a generalist, but that also means that I get to know a lot of people, know a lot of things and figure out how best to connect them as well too. Yeah. And that works really well with international internships because you're having to, to say, connect. Yes. I sense the theme in all of our colleagues that work in internships, right? <laughs> yeah. True. True, true. Mm -hmm. I realize I could keep going on. Do we want to ask Brooke, Brooke, the master Please. of this? Do we want to yeah. ask if people have any questions to put? Yeah, I was going to, um, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. If y'all have questions, um, we definitely want to talk about, I mean, people have made some great comments um, mm. in, in the chat. I tried to reference a couple of them, but uh, mm -hmm. there is an ask a question button below the video. If you wanted to throw a question in there or just in the chat, it's fine. We're a small, small but mighty community here right now. Um, if you have any questions for Kate, anything you'd love her to touch on, we'd love to hear those questions. Um, we are going to go into a rapid fire round. Um, but one, the one thing I did want to, um, the sort of last bigger question I wanted to touch on um, was, and you, you talked about incorporating social capital slash contact yeah. more intentionally. Um, and so I guess one, let's talk about what that means. And then two, are you, 
what does it mean for participants or what does it mean for us as professionals, both? What? So I would say even before remote internships, see what I did there? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well can done. I just pause before you go in? I'm sorry, we're gonna hijack that. But um, Dan and Ed are probably like, Kate, stop no. it. <laughs> no, 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 they're virtual internships, they're, they're, I know. They're, they're virtual internships. It's, a, it's uh, out there. It's out there. I'm not saying that they're or no virtual internships is a great organization. I'm totally right. teasing you, but we know them, so we like to tease. Okay. We of course yeah. we can tease. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll send them this clip. Yeah, yeah. Like, da, 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 da. Um, and I will, and I do blame the Canadians for really is C will actually ask it because they have to work with accreditation about how you define something. So they've done some really good stuff around why to call things remote versus virtual as well too. Um, the, uh, so from the social capital piece, I think that even before we went, we went virtual or remote, that there is a, a challenge with our, our digital generation um, and mm. our current generation, our current workplace as well too, that it's easier to be a spectator than to be engaged at times. Mm. And um, because of that, because of that, folks are not necessarily as comfortable um, reaching out and doing the networking piece. I actually um, am in the midst of doing about 30 individual student meetings over the next three days. And a lot of them have talked about the hardest thing they had to do over their summer was to reach out to an alumni to have a conversation. And these were alumni that said, we want to speak to you. We want to do this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the best thing I saw, the most, biggest surprise I saw was looking holistically and telling students that it's not your work your work experience, your internship experience, whatever, that is not a box that sits on its own. Also think about where you, where you volunteer, where you learn, your, like think of other ways as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I do, um, I have a book here that I will hold yeah. up. <gasps> Who you know, there you go. Mm -hmm. um, this is from the Christensen Institute. You know, we lost Clayton Christensen this year, but a great book that talks a lot about um, making social capital more embedded within education and how the disparities that we see right now are going to be amplified by if we don't do that intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, so making sure that uh, we are intentional about making it mandatory and part of the culture for mm -hmm. students to connect and to connect in meaningful ways and not service ways as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, I, think I, feel very, I feel very ahead of the curve because I've had a whole module about yeah. this inside GPI for five years. Yeah. So GPI people, I train them. I'm like, this is yeah. how you are going to do this. And this is why it's so important. Um, and I know you've probably gotten, you're one of Absolutely. the people because you did a masterclass inside the program. And I'm sure a lot of them were like, hi, Kate. And they, <laughs> I gave them a script, all the things, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but it is hard. And I think, um, you know, our field, I think, we're, we're kind of spoiled because it is such a collaborative environment and it is pretty friendly um, that it can be scary. I imagine it's even scary if you're like going into finance, like, I don't know, yeah. it's probably super scary to be like, Hey, can I do an informational interview? <laughs> um, yeah. to, you know, to somebody, I, I don't know. I've never wanted to do an informational interview on finance, but um, yeah. So I, I think that's really important and valuable. And I think, you know, because we, it's really hard, I think nowadays, especially for, all of us in a digital age to relate and connect with our friends, let alone professional relationships and, and maintaining yeah. those. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's so good. 
Yeah, it's a small thing, but Cliff Chan at Emory, he actually made, he made it an assignment. The students said if it wasn't an assignment, they wouldn't have done it. Similar to the GPI uh, module as well, too. Like where, mm -hmm. and he called it career conversations instead of informational interviews. And that mm -hmm. made it easier. Um, oh. But I also, career conversations. I just Cliff, 100% Cliff. Yeah. Um, but I also do think we miss out on happenstance in so many ways. And I have been encouraging students to use LinkedIn as their virtual water cooler um, to, you know, as much as they can, just if they see an article, I think is interesting mm -hmm. to sort of to, and to use that in in ways that they might um, not. We actually within teams, we set up this summer a, a water cooler where students would say, you know, I just read this article. What do you think? Or, you know, I'm going to, we're going to go watch, they watched the intern, the movie, the intern at some point this summer. So that was good. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but I, I do have on the sort of it, it, I'm thinking of sort of a future project, looking at how to build digital communities for students and including in there some digital literacy pieces as well too. So mm. Mm. we should talk. I know. Because I have my digital strategy academy I'm dreaming up right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I also want to figure out how to how to help all the tech all the tech folks who relocate to Estonia and Barbados. Let's create some cultural programs for them. Uh -huh. um, that use our yeah. study abroad experience, use our sort of our employability skills. Are you talking about because Estonia did the remote uh, visa? And yeah. Barbados and Jamaica and the state of Georgia. Yeah, Not state of Georgia, country of Georgia. I'm very state hooked into the digital nomad world. And um, <laughs> it's very controversial, the whole Barbados one. We can talk <laughs> offline about that. Ooh, but, I, yes, please. Um, I, but, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. So I will have, yes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I love it. I know some people saying they're having to sign off. Oh, yes, sure. thank you for asking, Sabur. Um, the Global Pro Institute, which is our career development and training yeah. program for international educators, um, aspiring international educators. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, so I, I was typing quickly, Sabur. I didn't mean to get yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, let's get into our lightning round. I haven't seen any questions or unless I, yeah, nobody added a question. So that's great. Um, you guys can uh, reach out to Kate via the Global Career Center. I've linked it down below. Go check them out. Follow, like, subscribe, do all the things um, and support her new venture. It's really exciting to see her doing this. Oh, before we go into the lightning round, I just want to say, and we don't have time to go into this, but um, the hardest internship or internship interview question I've ever received um, was from Kate Moore. And it's not hard. Remember. It's not a hard question. It was just very disconcerting, <laughs> <laughs> unnerving. It just, I felt like it was a great question because it didn't, it did make me have to get out of my head a little bit. Um, but it also made me very weary about like my answer. And I've told you guys this before, but um, I know but, what like, it is. Yeah, I think you should ask. I, I felt question. like, uh, and also to put this in the context, I'd literally walked off a flight from China into the interview. So <laughs> I was like, um, but the, uh, I, I thought I was like, killing it. Thought I was doing great with my interview is like wrapping up in Kate Moore drops her little bomb on my head and she's like so one final question what's your favorite band and I was like oh my god <laughs> I was like they are gonna judge me like like this whole like freak out inner dialogue happened and I was like oh my god I, I have to say something cool I can't say something too obscure that they don't know but I can't yeah. say something like top 40 I was like very like I these women are cool I have to <laughs> pretend to be cool it was so i still it's still to this day i like left going i'm not getting that job 
I think it was harder than that. I think it was top five favorite bands. Cause I, Kate, I feel like you yeah. and I used to ask that a lot. Yeah. Well, and I was just like, oh my God, they just want to, I was like this, it was hard. And I was like, oh, you want to talk about like principles of faculty led programming and, you know, <laughs> it, what is the value of international internships? I was like, killing it, killing it, killing it. Your <laughs> top favorite bands. I was like, oh no. It's like, Screw it. Okay. We All just right. wanted yeah, to know. Absolutely. We needed new music. I think that was the reason. It's 100%. Yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah, caused yeah. me a lot of stress and anxiety. So thank you very much. Yeah. We're just looking um, for new music. Not judging at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think later on, too, I, I kind of discovered more. It was just more about the like a lot of questions of like thinking through like how you think through things and why yeah. you like certain things, not necessarily what you like. Um, and I now know that, but as a, whatever, 23 I, year old or whatever I was at the time, I was like, yeah. <laughs> wow. and I also do yeah. think it gets to the authenticity piece, right? Like if somebody yeah. starts to snow us with, here's what we want to hear versus yeah, this is what I like. And that's why, and I don't, you know, that's different. Yeah. You want people to be comfortable to share I, I can't mm -hmm. even think of a band that I would not be like, yeah, I'll give that a listen. Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, is like, even back then I was a raging nerd. And so I would have been like, do podcasts count? <laughs> <laughs> and it would be like, what's a podcast? Like I was that yeah, nerd. He exactly. was like was listening to podcasts. Um, anyway. Okay. Let's do the lightning round. Um, uh, Sam, I'm going to let you take it away. Yes, please. Hold on. I have them written down um, because I got so engrossed in what we were talking about. Um, oh, yes. If you could study abroad all again, knowing what you know now, where would you go and or what would you do? Oh, goodness. Um, well, these are great. Uh, so I would go, uh, I would do an internship, okay, because I didn't yeah. do one. Um, uh, I also did not do an internship abroad, so you're in good company. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I, it's weird, I would I would probably go to Canada for a full year and do three different parts of Canada. Very different parts of Canada. I want some time in Edmonton. I want some time in Montreal. And then I want to hit either Toronto or Vancouver. So I did not know you were going to say that. Excellent. Yeah, I did not. I didn't know that either. This is a great thing about the, the lightning round. I know. Just, yeah. <laughs> These are not looped out of time, folks. But I, I mean, would also I, say frankly, that I, I don't think yeah. Canada gets enough credit. So I'm, I'm here for this. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I support it. Yeah. But I also would, would say that no matter where I study abroad, I'm going to travel to other places. Right. Too. So I even, I never feel like that's the only, my only option, unless that's right. the next question. Oh my God. No. <laughs> and by yeah. the way, you never get to travel again. Yeah. <laughs> you have to move okay. back to Nebraska. Um, a little bit of a silly one that I just really want to ask. Um, so sorry, this is like an inside, um, it, it's an inside study abroad question actually. Have you ever been to the Australia party at NAFSA? Yes. <gasps> How I many times? One. Of course she is. She's Beyonce. I know. Of course I know. she's gotten that invite. But, but I've gotten invited more than I've gone because it's the same oh, night as we hold a dinner. Oh, no. She's just like, nah, she, this is what we call a flex. And <laughs> she is flexing her Australia yeah. invites. I love it. Oh, I love it. For those of you I, who I, don't know, this it, is a – It's a hard – an evening reception slash party that's kind of notorious for getting a little, a little feisty at, mm -hmm. and it happens at NAFSA, which is the big uh, national organization's annual conference 
back in the day when, you know, people met in person, that thing. Um, yes, Susie says serious feisty party. Yes. yes. I <laughs> have never been. And now I feel at this point I can't go because it'll just be a disappointment. Unless anyone here has the power to invite me to one of the I know. I was like, I, uh, I have been. my expectations. Yeah, but yeah. I have I had to skip out before it got too feisty because like ah. there was like double booking situation. That's yeah. the issue. Um, I hear you get a gift. Oh. Um, and I know that Anne Haverkern has all of her little, I think, tiny little animals. Yeah, that usually. Yeah, yeah. Time you go. Yeah. Oh my god, it's like Blanton's bourbon, where you, you get all the bottles with all the. <laughs> the uh, I, I, if I can't find a way to spin the conversation to bourbon, then I've not done my job. You did uh, your job. Uh, go ahead. I, I, I was just gonna say I've not been to a Brazil party, and I want to make that one of oh. the, the ribbons for the NASA okay. ribbon bling. Because I, at some point, people are like, "Oh, you want to go to Brazil?" I'm like, "No, I've never been, and I'm gonna hold and that back." Now you <laughs> Which, uh, for context, is the easiest reception to be able to go it's to. The easiest, and there's more than one, so really it's yeah. hard not to go. Yeah. Um, but Kate, that's that's kind of like, I feel like maybe I'll make you break that because I believe you also had an embargo on Las Vegas. And yet- I did. I went in once. <laughs> that's the only time. That's fine. <laughs> and the next time will be when we renew our vows. <laughs> You'll be like, like, how come you're renewing your vows at the Brazil party at NASA? <laughs> <laughs> Which you need to do. Oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> um, Actually, it would probably be more appropriate if you guys did it at like the Ireland party. Uh, yeah. Irish. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also the party. Um, okay. Sorry. Now Please. bring it back from the silly. Bring it back from the silly. Um, what's the best advice you've ever gotten in your career? So my first boss, um, when I was literally, this is campaign season. You don't do this anymore. There was a time in campaigns when you would knock on doors and talk to people about politics and not be worried. It was amazing. <laughs> amazing. It was a different world and I loved it there. But, um, so he, uh, was, he was alongside me and he, he gave me advice that I now know that he gives to almost everybody, but it felt really personal at the time, which is the, the key to good advice, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as he said, you know, communicate concise, direct rage. And he said, you gotta be fast. You gotta be direct. You know him and Han. And he's like, you really care about this to so make sure people know. So I stopped there because that's concise, direct rage. There you go. Mm -hmm. I need that advice, clearly. Okay. <laughs> direct, yeah. concise rage. Is that it? Communicate concise, direct oh, rage. <laughs> rage. I feel like I have that in spades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, not you. But I mean, it's just in general, it's a tough word, right? Because people are like, oh, I don't know. But it's yeah. more about the sort of that, that passion that you care, that you really care. And it's hard mm -hmm. to do all of those at the same time. Because yeah. if you really care about something, it's hard to be concise. Yes. And, um, and that directness comes to, that all goes back to just making an ask and telling people this is what I'm doing and yeah. what I'm looking for and, and what I need and being direct yeah. in that way is, yeah. is key too. So I that was Ed want Johnson. That. Yeah. Okay. I kind of want that t-shirt. I, I do. I want that <laughs> on a t-shirt. I would wear it regularly. Um, uh, okay. Last question for me, rapid fire. Um, what is your advice for anyone wanting to work in international education, which I think is an important question right now. Um, Absolutely. So sorry, it's a big one, but um, it could be advice you would have given in the before times or, or now. 
So right after I gave that great advice from Ed about being so concise and direct, um, <laughs> damn it, um, find your niche and be authentic. Um, yeah. Our field is notorious, and I tell this to everybody I give informational interviews with, and I'm always happy to do them. Career conversations, Cliff Chan, thank you for that. Um, career conversations with. Um, is that our field is notorious for making it hard for people to join it. And once you get in, it's this amazing community, but it is this crazy thing of making it difficult for people to, and, 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 and the things that you founded are, are, are a part to, to fight this. And that's why I so support them. I think this idea that um, overcoming that is a challenge, but I think that once, um, I, well, that's the other piece. It's more of an, less of an advice and more of an acknowledgement is, is, mm -hmm letting them know that this is, there is this reality, that it is challenging um, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, um, that we should have a lot of different, different people, a lot of different faces, a lot of different perspectives at every table um, and uh, to, you know, to, to find their niche and to be authentic as well too. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Yes. I mean, all the snaps for that, all the cosigns. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it for me. In my in my rapid fire. Yeah, I, I I love it. Thank you for saying that, Kate. I really appreciate it, and I I couldn't agree more. I think I tried to explain on our last GPI coaching call we had earlier this week for our summer cohort um, about you know how our industry is like a, a giant walled castle, and there's mm. a moat around it, and there's just no way to get in. Uh, but once you're in, you're like in, you're safe. It's like a party. Everyone's like, come on. But like until you are able to scale that wall and find some way in, um, it, it it can feel really hard. And 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 that is the reason I created GPI and the Global Ooh. Pro Institute. And um, we have big plans for it moving forward. Um, so expect more interns coming your way, GCC. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Kate would love to know how you'd like people to connect with you. Obviously, we've linked to the Global Career Center down below. So got, they'll go check out your website. But is, how would you like people to connect with you personally? Sure. Um, LinkedIn or my, my, I mean, the GCC uh, number you see listed there is mine. So you can feel free to do that. But um, you know, I am <laughs> you're very brave. I am brave. But uh, as, as part of the digital generation, I'll probably text you back. You know, I am, I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> no, no, but in, uh, LinkedIn, but then also Kate at globalcareercenter.org also is a good one. Um, Ooh. And we just we did a get a question. question. Yeah, a question. Yeah. I did see that question. <laughs> I love that question. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm just going to have it so we can have the audio version of it here. So can uh, Kate, can you share your forecast for the field in light of the pandemic? We're seeing a lot of virtual programming, which we've talked about a little bit, lots of furloughs and layoffs. Um, do folks need to be prepared to pivot to another field for the next three years? Um, and yeah, it's okay, totally okay, Sarah. <laughs> No, it's a great question. And I know it's even to give you a, a context of where I'm answering this from about four or five years ago, I had someone looking to get involved in international education and make a pivot late in his career. And I said, why? <laughs> are you sure? Um, here's some trends that are happening that may or may not be that helpful for you. Um, and I do think uh, getting back to that, that, that castle with a moat idea, that castle has gotten higher and the moat has gotten deeper. Yeah. That said, um, committing 
committing to international education now, I think is, is super important for many, many reasons. I think it's never been more important than ever. I think you need to be prepared to show how your skills for international education works with other parts of insert whatever here is. So if you're at a university and you are great at advising, maybe you're actually spending time advising in the athletics department for a few weeks. Or if you're at a, at a company or an organization and you really have strong intercultural uh, you know, skills, maybe you are actually working with the, the diversity and inclusion team on some of the, the, the initiatives that they're working on at this very important time. I do feel like one of the biggest challenges international education has always faced has been it's inability to talk to everyone. And that goes back to that connection. It goes back to, I think, the most important exchanges we can do right now are from red states to blue states. And I really do feel like the most important thing we can incorporate are conversations. Mm -hmm. So um, I would encourage you to, to double down on the skills you know, know for international education. Be ready to use them in other industries, not just as a pivot, but as an education to other industries as well, mm -hmm. too, mm -hmm. so that we can bring those back as well. Mm -hmm. um, the, the landscape will change dramatically. Um, the, uh, you know, there will be some organizations that go away. There'll be some that hibernate and come back stronger than forever than ever. And there'll be some mm -hmm. that, that, that launch, you know, and, and, and uh, come back well as well, too. Um, you know, I think... Um, you know, for me, I uh, diversify by virtue of being an enthusiast and a generalist, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, it is important to me that the GCC have half of its university partners outside the U.S. and half of them inside the U.S. It is important to me that we are looking at all range of locations and vocations, really, um, yeah. because that diversification is you know, from a selfish standpoint, I get to keep learning and I'm wicked curious. So I get to, to learn about, you know, the Australian higher ed system and I get to learn about, you know, Canadian work integrated learning and that that is cool. But from a, a hard, hard business standpoint, it's also, you know, it means that there are um, in a non-global pandemic times, there are, <laughs> there are trends that can, the ebbs and flows that you can move with as well too. Mm -hmm. So I think diversifying an organization is the same as diversifying uh, your, your personal, um, uh, your personal, your brand, your personal skills as well too. Mm -hmm. um, but it's gonna, it's a, it's a tough time ahead. And I think, um, you know, as universities struggle with the fall, they're not even, you know, it, we, we do have some, some, some tough time ahead. I, you know, I, I do greet that. I think it's going to be um, a chance for those who are authentic and find their niche to come out on the other side stronger. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, I think agree. it's an amazing opportunity for individuals, universities, organizations to actually figure out what their value proposition is. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, what is it that you actually bring to the table? Um, and I think as professionals, I mean, that's what we've been just driving home and really helping our GPI participants figure out because that that is the game changer. You know, so at my, you know, when I teach business, I always tell people that you're you, you want to focus on your reach, your revenue and your impact. Mm -hmm. Right. So as you as an employee and your employability is like, what are your skills? What are your knowledge? What's your experience that's going to help? an organization grow their reach, their revenue and their impact. And they're different things, right? And they have different outcomes, but they all are super important to any type of organization, uh, a for-profit sure. business and, you know, nonprofit, you know, uh, NGO, a university. Um, and sometimes it's all, you know, at the same time, yeah. I, I think that's really important. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm excited for the direction that the field gets to go in. Same. I think it's gonna, what I like to call get more tight and right, right? It's like, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, education in general has gotten just so, I think, bloated in a lot of ways, you know, when I do my, uh, my business training workshops, I always show stats and things that actually are pre-COVID. So I'm sure those mm -hmm. numbers are even more lopsided now, but, you know, with higher education enrollment, like traditional was was declining before the pandemic. Um, online learning, like Coursera, like went from, you know, 1 million to like 2 trillion users in five years or something crazy like that. Obviously cost is going up, student debt is going up. And so with all these things happening and then big companies are like, oh, we don't even care if you have a, a, a degree like Google yeah, and right. Tesla and insert, you know, here. So I feel like all of this landscape was already churning and percolating yeah. and then boom like something that forced international ed let's put it in that context to to really um think about what it is that we do and what is the value that we bring to students absolutely and i you know it's a quote that's come back to haunt me but i did uh our most curmudgeonly professor uh, at penn uh he, i would always say you know that higher education was broken, but not broken enough yet to fix. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, as we put a spotlight on it through the pandemic, it's, mm -hmm. it, it is becoming, we get an opportunity to fix it, I think for sure. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And with international education, my last piece of advice on that would be to make sure you're looking at all three, three legs of the stool, right? So don't just look at study abroad. Don't just look at international student inbound. Don't just look at internationalization at home, but look at all three. And for Australian colleagues, they have said that um, to, to build their career in Australia, they actually have to hop between those three different, you know, stools to be able to, to, to build their career in Australia as well. That's so interesting. I yeah. love that. Maybe I, I need that. to have like an Australian master class inside GPI. Uh <laughs> I think we should. They're doing, I mean, a lot of the stuff I look at right now is just looking at, oh, what that, what is that Australian university doing? Because mm -hmm. they and they write about it and they put it out and talk about community there. They, I feel like they really share. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been wonderful. We've got a little bit over, but I don't care. Kate, you're amazing. Um, I will be working on that Beyonce meme the rest of the afternoon. Uh, thank you so much for Sorry. coming on the podcast and being here live. Thank you everyone who tuned in live. Um, we really appreciate this. We're trying to do this about every other week. So, um, stay tuned. I think our next conversation, do we have a teaser for that? Is it confirmed? Okay. Yes, yeah. it's confirmed. Our next conversation is going to be um, with Dr. Keisha Abraham talking about cultural equity and education abroad. Awesome. Um, I'm really excited. She's so excited. Oh, yeah, that's great. I'm tuning in. Sign me up. That'll be yeah. great. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, everyone, for being here. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. And we will see you on the next Inside Chat. Um, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Great. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.